Welcome back to Truncated Thoughts presented by Prescouter, where we have short discussions on big ideas in healthcare. I'm Jeremy Schmier, and with me is Dr. Ryan LaRanger. Today's topic comes at the request of one of our listeners out of Germany. The topic is long read DNA sequencing. The human genome is endlessly complex with billions of DNA pairs. In layman's terms, long read data helps, further, helps us further understand the roots of genetic diseases. To unpack this topic, we've asked our good friend, Dr. Michael Boot, who has a PhD in medical microbiology to join our conversation. Michael, why don't you kick us off by first providing a high-level perspective on long read sequencing? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And, and thanks for inviting me uh, to the podcast. It's nice, nice to be here. Um, yeah, so I think, I think what's good to, to start out with is that um, sequencing is a, is a pretty recent um, technology that has evolved from being able to look at small pieces of the DNA and from those individual, um, you could call them jigsaw pieces, reassemble full genes and full human genomes, um, as, you, as you will. And what has happened over the course of time is, is really that those, those puzzle pieces have started to increase in size, effectively making that reassembling and making looking at DNA a lot easier. So instead of having a million puzzle pieces jigsaw to put together, some of these newer technologies will have only five pieces to put together. And you can imagine how tremendously efficient it will then become to look at pieces of DNA. And I think what has happened over the time, and so just to give you an idea for numbers, um, this went up from looking at 900 individual symbols within the DNA or base pairs as we call them, um, to up to 10,000, 100,000, and now millions per read in one go. So that is a huge, huge jump. So then what I would say is just along these lines, what can you actually do with it, right? It's increasing the read time, but what is it doing to accuracy and what is it doing to detection? It's just, Michael, at a very high level, um, I'd be curious to know what you're seeing in terms of applications of this technology. So I guess the, the major application here would be to look at um, complex systems, or in this case, uh, mixtures of, of, of samples of patient samples in a way where you can quickly unravel and easily unravel uh, the DNA sequence. Um, and, and especially with the drive of going towards personalized medicine and, and really looking at smaller sample volumes, having the ability to do longer reads and to have an easier time reassembling what the individual's DNA was will really, um, yeah, really um, make that a lot easier to um, and a lot fe more feasible. Nice. So one of my favorites uh, is just this idea of, so when you're looking for rare variants, there are a couple of applications where that becomes really, really important, right? Uh, one of them actually being in cancer. So in cancer, we've been on this hunt for a damn age to find cancer stem cells, to identify them and figure out, you know, what treatments they might be vulnerable to. One of the things that's stopping us from doing this is that a cancer stem cell is only a tiny, tiny, tiny subfraction of the total cancer biology. And so being able to look at a biopsy and find those rare variants in a tumor could be really valuable. Beyond that, 
when you're trying to do a liquid biopsy, a uh, liquid biopsy is where you have a patient, they may or may not, you don't know whether or not they have cancer. You take a blood sample um, and you try and figure out, or you do sequencing of all of the cells in that blood sample in order to detect a cancer cell. Um, if you have a system like, for instance, long read sequencing, uh, this can get you much better accuracy for detecting rare variants. And one out of a billion cancer cells uh, certainly counts as a rare variant. Now, part of the reason to my understanding, and Michael, please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, one of the challenges it, with long read is that the sort of architecture isn't really, or like the support architecture isn't really there in the same way that it is for um, short read DNA or classic DNA sequencing. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's accurate. And I, I think the way to see this is that this is still really a niche field. Um, this is not a um, something that has been used for a long time. As I mentioned before, the whole sequencing field is, is a very nascent one. So the applications for long read sequencing, and especially looking at hundreds of thousands of base pair at a time, have still to be developed. Um, and I think you make a very good point pointing out the importance of patient to patient variation, one, to be able to detect that from samples, but especially within patients looking at um, rare forms or rare DNA sequences. Um, I think also before the utility of, of those types of technologies can be um, fully explored, we will also need to learn more about the biology of these diseases and the biology of these patients first before um, these applications can be unrolled. So really understanding the problem and then having this tool to help solve that. One other trend, and, and Ryan, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that, um, is sort of miniaturizing some of these sequencing platforms, which I think is an especially interesting development because this really opens up the way um, to do sequencing in settings that um, are not a massive lab, but, but for instance, point of care, or really thinking about the application of um, decentralized sequencing, and especially with the infrastructures around data storage and data transfer, et cetera, this really opens up a new type of um, applications for, for sequencing and specifically this type of sequencing. I mean, it, uh, it becomes such a physics problem, which is weird to say in this context, but bear with me. I mean, it's uh, one of the advantages of uh, you know, long read sequencing or uh, like DDPCR is another example of this, where it's all being done in little droplets, is you lose, it's you're constantly running this compromise between accuracy and detection of rare variants and, you know, read time. It's, and so with these sort of smaller sequencing units that aren't done in a big lab, but are done on site, um, those can be really good for some kinds of detection. My worry with them is that they aren't going to be very good at detecting rare variants. And, you know, that's only a worry in some contexts, right? Like if you're just looking for, you know, what, this is a patient, what is their genotype for this disease? All of their cells have it, no problem, right? But if you're looking for, I need a rare variant that only exists in a subset of their cells, 
that's where I think this is a challenge. So it's I'm bullish in some respects, but we just need to keep in mind the context of use. So guys, what I want to do is I want to call out um, the idea of mRNA in this context, right? I mean, you talk about variants, Ryan, you mentioned it a couple of times. Is there a place for, for this type of sequencing as it relates to, to variant detection in, in COVID, or is that something totally separate? So short answer, yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, this is a case where we're caring less about rare variants. So variants means different things in different contexts, right? It's when we're talking about COVID, uh, let's say you have uh, that awful new strain of COVID, right? Like, what is it, B112? It's, I'm embarrassing myself. I know I'm wrong. Uh, but the, the idea here is Every single COVID, every single you know COVID virus piece you have will have that sequence, and so any sequencer could tell you you know like this you have this variant right. It's a rare variant globally. It is a common variant for you. Uh, when you're looking for a rare variant, where I'd start really caring about um, a long read would be if you know, one out of a billion or one out of a million virus particles in you was of that rare variant. So for cancer or for disease, like cancer in particular, this is very valuable. Uh, but there are some other cases where it also matters. Uh, that's one context, but this is the other one. So for COVID, you know, long read is great. I'm not sure it's entirely necessary. Yeah, I think one application that is very interesting is, is there's been um, monitoring of um, wastewater and sewage water, uh, for instance, in cities. And so one application for long read sequencing or for detecting different kinds of strains that have good um, accuracy would be monitoring this, where you have a mixture of different viruses floating around and you want to type in, in sort of relative quantity which strains are there and and that that might be one application i can think of i agree with ryan that for the clinical use that um this is probably not um something that's going to change um the way they do um this type of sequencing one thing to note though and that's very interesting there have been um, groups that have looked into using next generation sequencing which typically has shorter reads to do massively parallelized um, COVID diagnostics. So running multiple patient samples in, in one type of device. But there, you don't really need the long read aspect. There, you can still do shorter reads. Um, it's, it's sort of the, the high pace at which you can do the sequencing. That's the attractive part. Got it. So, so there's a, a high degree of efficiency and, and even scale to, to this early, would you call it diagnosis and, and detection of, of certain conditions in the genes? Are you talking about infectious disease or do you mean more, more broadly across different, different disease areas? I think, I think more, more broadly on like where this application actually helps. Yeah, I, I think Ryan, it, it's, it's the nail on its head um, where you, I think, especially looking at variation within patients or being able to, to pick up things and reassemble them um, efficiently. Because um, the, the problem you have to imagine is if you're looking at one cell and you, you look at it through classical sequencing, which has around 900 of these symbols, it can detect at a time. 
Reassembling that might be doable, but once you have a thousand cells or a million cells, that becomes a really, really tough computational challenge. The long read sequencing is really gonna help you decrease the amount of computational capacity you need to reconstruct those things. So anywhere where the, the sheer amount of, of data or the reassembly um, um, becomes an issue, long read sequencing would, would really contribute to, to simplifying your problem. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, Ryan. Now I just need to add a voice of caution here. Yeah. You know, we're we're talking about long read, and from these usability perspective, from these use perspectives, very potentially valuable. It is a nascent or a in development technology, where that has been very in a space that has been very commoditized. Right, uh, sequencing has gotten very cheap. And, you know, classic short read sequencing of which, you know, that's not a monolith. There are many different kinds of it. It's gotten very good and efficient and inexpensive. If long read sequencing can't show enough value relative to its cost, even if it might be somewhat more sensitive, there are lots of other ways to achieve sensitivity, right? Uh, sequencing is one method, but there are other methods where, you know, you're isolating DNA samples, you're doing things on a chip, you're using graphene in all sorts of interesting ways. Uh, there are many other ways to get to a similar place vis-a-vis -vis, uh, sensitivity for variants and so on. So it's long read does have some technical and logistic challenges that do need to be overcome. That would be the only point I would add. I'm optimistic about it, but we'll see. Yeah, I think one, one very interesting development here is that some of these devices that are out there that use this type of technology, they, they basically allow you to tune the length of your read. So this, this may really help make it a per case usable or attractive technology. Um, but I, I do want to echo what Ryan is saying is that this is something that's, that's developing as we speak. And I think if you ask anyone who's in that field what long read means, what size fragments we're talking about, I'm pretty sure you get different answers from everyone, from anywhere between 10,000 to up to 5 million. And so there is a lot of space to cover there. And each of those individual numbers will come with their own unique challenges. Guys, I really appreciate your perspectives. It sounds like there is a lot of nuance and development happening within this very specific field. So thank you for sharing your thoughts. That is going to be all the time that we have for today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. And if you're not a subscriber, as always, find us on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can even request a topic if there's something that you'd like to hear what, uh, what Ryan and the guys think about it. So always keep that in mind as an option. Our next episode, we're going to dive into synthetic biology. Until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.